Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Let's see. Is this actually recording? Yes, it actually looks like it's recording. So that's, that's a net positive right here. That is half the battle right there. Well, I know that what's happened before, uh, Casey has recorded numerous podcasts that he's immediately lost, including a really good one that we did, I think it was after, um, I think it was last year after we beat Iowa State, and we were talking about Kansas, and all three of us were really drunk at the time, too, so that, that, that got lost into the ether, unfortunately. Aww. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. The Hammer and Rails podcast is back on its infrequent schedule, the Dan Carlin schedule of you never know when it's going to drop, but it shows up in your inbox, your podcast feed, whatever. So we are back. We are on the eve of the season, talking Big Ten Media Days as the season is just around the corner, and we have one guest tonight, and it is Paul Banks of the Sports Bank. How are you doing, Paul? Excellent. Happy football talking season. It's here. Yes, it is here, and football talk is here, and you also have your own guest in your own apartment. It's Paul's cat, Otis, who is meowing and doing parkour in the background. Yes. You know, it was really amazing on the last one. As soon as we reached that story where we talked about wild dogs chasing a guy off the marathon route, he really shrieked. And then I turned it, and I'm like, yeah, you don't like dogs. And then he shrieked even louder. So. 
But he he's gonna be passing both of our sites before too long, so Yes, he um he really has uh he surpassed me in Instagram followers in two months and that number that he passed up it took me six years to get, so Oh dear. <laughs> so when I got my um I got my Tommy Lasorda wine that I'm drinking tonight for this podcast. I'm like, when I share my Tommy Lasorda wine, I'm just going to share it with a picture of Otis. And that, I think that's going to do a lot better for them. I was unaware Tommy Lasorda made wine. He makes a lovely Chardonnay and he makes a lovely Cabernet. And I was approached around MLB All-Star Game about it. And it's pretty good. I mean, I, I'm really enjoying it. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that he made that either. I was a big fan of his when I was a kid. He was one of my, I enjoyed his Slim Fast commercial. <laughs> that, that is a weird childhood, to be quite honest. Yeah, I, 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 most people don't really say that. Most people would remember more as the Dodgers manager, but I kind of remember his Slim Fast commercials now more. <laughs> his appearance on Who's the Boss, or maybe that was Steve Sachs, I don't know. <laughs> Well, of course, that's where Steve Sachs had all of his uh, unsolved murders, was on Who's, Who's the Boss. It was a really special episode. Yes, find it on DVR or Netflix if you can. <laughs> well, enough about Tommy Lasorda's wine and appearances on Who's the Boss. Uh, we promised some actual football substance here, and Paul was at the wonderful farce that is Big Ten Media Days, where there's a ton of hoopla and absolutely nothing of substance is said. Am I right? Yes, that's, that's fairly accurate. I mean, to promise football substance, well, it depends. Like, if, if your drinking game was processed during Mark Santonio this morning, then you are now in a coma or dead. <laughs> well, uh, you, usually the buzzword is excited to be here. Yeah, that like yeah, like I like I tweeted you the the Jesse Spano high in caffeine fulfilled saved by the bell where she's thinking I'm so excited. Everybody is excited. I, I'm so excited to get started. I'm so excited to be here. Exciting times for our program, especially our seniors. It's um, it, it really is. I kind of look at it as the podium stuff is a way to have, it's like a political stump speech. Here's, here's our platform. Here's what our program's about. We're going to get that out there. And the only reason I find that worthwhile is because if you get your question in, then they transcribe it for you, and you don't have to deal with, when you go to the podium and there's just a total mosh pit, there's a total gangbang around whoever you want to talk to, <laughs> Just talk over everybody and like cut them off to get your question in, and you know hashtag civility. So I'm I'm not all about that. <laughs> uh, I haven't been to media day myself since the Danny Hope era, and uh, I I find I always found it interesting during the Danny Hope era because nobody would talk to the Purdue guys. Uh, there was always plenty of room behind them. I think I had, what once got a. An entire like fifteen twenty minute one on one interview with Carson Wiggs and uh, Albert Evans. That's actually a great point. That's actually why I really enjoy um, talking to the Purdue guys. Like I remember the Tribune had some low level intern, and Purdue was one of the teams they gave her last year. And I'm like, oh no, it's fun because you get like actual conversation. And I've, I've now nowadays any coach other than Chris Ash 
Charlotte and the Maryland guy, any coach will always have a large uh, swarm around him. But for players, yeah, I mean, Purdue players, they're a little bit more this year, but it, you still get pretty good access. Well, uh, of course, you had uh, the double quarterback thing, which uh, that's also one of your drinking games with BTN constantly mentioning that Purdue took two quarterbacks to media day. And, you know, obviously Brom's not going to tip his hand in the, in the stump speech, as you call it, and he's not going to tip it in any of the one-on-one interviews on who his starter is going to be. But I want to know if you had a chance to talk to Sindelar and Blau and see if they had any uh, – internal competitions for how they were going to settle this. I don't know, pants off, dance off, or... Uh, or kidly wings. Yeah, you know, wind-aided pissing contest, whatever. I mean, we've got to settle this. I came close to um, asking those questions like you suggested, like you had told me on Day Eve, asking if they're going to, you know, settle this with a game of Battleship or Fortnite or what. Because there was a point where it was Sindelar and me and two other reporters, and one of them was a very timid, like, student reporter. Um, but but I did not, I actually, I, did, I kept it straight-laced. I kept it up by the book. And I found that Sindelar was probably the most interesting guy from the Purdue contingent that I, that I spoke with. I, I thought he was the most personable. And... To answer your question, this is the closest that I really got to an answer. I, I both gentlemen spent a lot of time at David Blau's podium. I spent a lot of time at Sindelar's podium. But Sindelar said it's really going to be about the off-the-field stuff, leadership, um, intangible things like that. And I kind of pressed him further about is it going to be more mental or physical? And we're metaphysical, or but no, but it's it's going to be it's going to be more about um, I guess the stuff that's not as quantifiable. I mean, he did stress it is about production, um, but he really, from what I, he gave me more of an answer than Blau did, and he gave me more of an answer than Brome did. So that's where I would go with that. I, I'd say it's going to be about who wins the locker room. It's going to get it. And that's interesting because I know Blau's had the locker room, and I think because last year he was uh, famously voted a captain and everything, and you you think he's got another shot at being captain. This was his second media days. He gave the speech last year. Right, that we're never invited to. That messes up the entire schedule. Yeah, but it's like he, you know, I like Blau as a a guy, and I, I think it says a lot that he's, he decided to stay this year when he very easily, he actually graduated, so he could have been a graduate transfer anywhere else. And as was lovingly the joke when Etling and Appleby left, he was ready to go to the SEC to be a starter for a year. But uh, I find it interesting that he came back and he's willing to compete, and I think that says a lot about his character too. Yeah, absolutely. And they both stress the point that they're, they're both men of faith and that kind of helps guide them and that they're both friends and really this doesn't work unless they're both friends from what i kind of gather from the twitter reaction to my posts in the last couple days um thank you for retweeting those that meant a lot to me that that otis thanks you too as you just heard sure um i've 
the Twitter people seem to want Sindelar. And I, th- I think that goes a lot because of the way he finished the season last year, too. Where would you, if you were going to take the temperature of the base right now, are they leaning more towards Sindelar or Blau? I would say they're leaning more towards Sindelar just because of the way he finished the season. And it's hard to argue with that. I mean, the guy won three must-win games. Well, two must-win games and a bowl game on a torn ACL. That's tough. I mean, <laughs> you can't argue with that kind of production or anything. But at the same time, I've also long been a Blau guy. I've liked him. He's you know a really nice guy. He's done a lot for the program. I'd love to see him finish his career strong and go out on a really high note. And I really could see both of them playing significant minutes, kind of like last year, because... Last year was like the one time that you actually saw a two-quarterback system somehow work. And I don't know if that makes um, Jeff Brahm a wizard or what, but it was impressive. And can it be done again? Can it work? Who knows? Um, Because there were even games where one guy was clearly above the other and played most of the game, and he just seemed to be a quarterback whisperer and knew exactly when to uh, keep one guy in and when to keep when to pull the other guy and whatnot. So it's really hard to say. I think they're both going to play, and I think as a question of how much they're going to play, I don't know. And it is nice that even if you have one guy wins the job, you've got a quality starter behind him just in case of injury, too. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a wonderful situation. And I did actually say... I took the old adage and I asked him to LARP, if you have two quarterbacks, does that mean you have none? And he gave a great answer. He, he gave a very, uh, the type of answer a politician would give where he said, you know, I, I thought that myself or I believed that myself until I experienced it and now I know that it can work. And I kind of pressed him further about, I mean, this is quarterback. You've got to be the man. You are the leader. How can you have two alpha dogs, but, you know, that's the thing. Uh, 2012 Northwestern got away with it, but a lot of times we saw under Northwestern, they would have one guy was a thrower and one guy is a runner. And the reason I really like what's going on in West Lafayette is that both guys um, can throw and run to some extent. And, you know, Blau is a guy who got it done during the real lean years. I remember when you... I think it was like, yeah, I think it was last year when he came to Big Ten Media Day and he came back as the Big Ten's returning passer, and a lot of people were just like, wow, he, he led the league in passing efficiency, you know, under a really terrible team, and that says a lot about who he is and how great he is. But which, in terms of personality, I could see the team rallying around Sindelar more. He, he does kind of strike me as a more kind of dynamic go-get-him kind of guy. And I can see them also rallying around Sindelar because Sindelar's going to be back next year, too. And Blau's not, no matter what. So Blau, it's just kind of his last chance to really do anything, whereas Sindelar, he can build for what could be a really good year in 2019 once uh, we get another another. Uh, solid recruiting class on board, which I'm just still stunned that we have a top 25 recruiting class. It will go down as our best in more than a decade. 
and you know there's something really growing there in West Lafayette and if Sindelar can kind of seize the reins and take over and as, as I know you heard me mention this if he actually starts the opener it'll be the first time in I think since 2007 that we've had the same starter for consecutive opening ga- season games which is astounding yeah, that reminds me of the Chicago Bears during uh, when Brett Favre was their rival, and Brett Favre started every game, and Bears didn't have that kind of. I mean, that that's amazing, and I just, you know, I maybe part of it has to do with the fact that the head coach is a former NFL quarterback, and the quarterback coach slash offensive coordinator is also a former NFL quarterback. I mean. Like you said, it's the court. It's just the, you know, I. And obviously Otis just disagrees with me because he's yelling at me. Otis <laughs> doesn't like my take, but um, maybe it, I, I hate to use the cliche, but maybe it is the, the cradle of quarterbacks again, because you've got the quarterback whispers leading the way. And, and I just I just brought up an article here I did uh, last week. Blau has a chance. He's only already seventh in school history with more than 6,000 passing yards. And he can get as high as fifth with only about 1,500 yards this year. That's really solid for a guy that could end up being the backup quarterback. And he has 44 career passing touchdowns, one behind Scott Campbell for fifth. And then he would be getting up into the uh, Breeze, Orton, Curtis Painter numbers, which... Painter put up most of his numbers just because he was a starter for three and a half seasons. But, you know, Blau is kind of there, too, because he's been a starter since he was a freshman. And I think that's another reason that I would love to see him start this year, because he played for some really, really awful teams. And I feel like he kind of deserves to go out on a strong note and be like, all right, I suffered through all this. Now I'm going to take you guys to the next step and kind of you know, leave you leave you in great hands as I go. Right, and what the best thing we can hope for is that the guy who gets it gets it by earning it, not because of an injury or right. You know, down and then I'd, I'd hate to see it come down to that. But it's also really refreshing in this day and age where everybody transfers and everyone leaves. That Blau is sticking around when he has a chance. But he could. Yeah, he, like you said, he could go to the SEC and start. Yeah, he, he as a starter, he could he could have started anywhere in the country this year. I mean, well, not anywhere. It's not like he's going to go out to, you know, Wisconsin and beat out Hornybrook or something. But, you know, he could he could be an automatic starter on a dozen teams, like walk in and be the guy. I mean, you think Minnesota would kill for him right now? Oh, my God, yeah. He could take. Minnesota from year zero to or year negative one to year two. <laughs> so I think that's time for a good transition since we've been talking about Purdue at Media Days. What was kind of your Big Ten impressions there? Uh, again, obviously very, very little of substance was said except for, uh, uh, I think, what was the big announcement that Harbaugh had or something? The only... Um... Like, in terms of news news, I would say, like, if you're really into media news or business news, um, Mark Silverman from the BTN, and typically in any given year, his session is, is the least 
is the least worthwhile, which says a lot considering how not worth it most sessions are. But he he gave an update about the um, negotiations with Comcast and about how if you're a Comcast subscriber outside the Big Ten footprint, you might lose BTN. Um, they're really for some reason there was this complete beating the dead horse over how much stronger the East is than the West, and I'm like, yeah, okay, Captain Obvious, like, like what is your point, where are you going with that, but that kept coming up. To me, I probably thought the most interesting stuff related to gambling, because on day one, this didn't really come up on day two, but on, on day one, Delaney, um, you know, Fitz, Fitzgerald, you know, made a joke about how he was very, uh, about how he's been very Bill Belichickian with his injury report and just the basic idea was you know with sports gambling going to starting to be illegal in more states it's going to be illegal elsewhere soon then we're going to get the idea is an availability report it's more than just an injury report and Delaney thinks it's long overdue that we should have you know who's suspended who's whatever and, and then that made Rutgers relevant and Chris Ash more relevant than I can remember because of Atlantic City. I'm like, wow. So that, to me, that was interesting. Yeah, I haven't given too much thought to the gambling aspect just because I guess, you know, if you want to gamble, it's been out there. We, I mean, you, you know this. We get the odds every week on the top games and we publish them and if you know how to gamble you got your dedicated system or anything so it's not like it's a uh it's not like it's a huge surprise or anything so you know i i guess i could see that and but i can also see the whole why in everything that we have to prepare why do we have to prepare an injury list or anything i know purdue has been so secretive about their own injuries and everything especially last year under brahm that you know, and oftentimes we didn't know who was hurt or anything. I mean, just look at Sindelar. He should have been out for the last five games of the season, but somehow stayed in uh, stayed in, and ended up winning three games. So it, it just seems like it's a lot of just talking points when there's not a whole lot to talk about, to be honest. I would concur with that totally. I mean, I don't, I don't know what can't really call it like Big Ten Media Day. I mean, because that makes it that makes it sound like it's news day or it's actually like newsworthy. And it um, I kind of approach it where I mean I know how much you love mock drafts, so I'll have to bring that up. But <laughs> like, <laughs> but I'm like, okay, I have my mock draft. I have to fill it with something and. I have to make it look like I actually know what I'm talking about when I don't. So, you know, here's three or four guys in Ohio State that are in the first round of every mock. So just get some sound bites on this or that. Um, then you got the same thing, you know, Wisconsin's got giant, big, white, you know, corn-fed linemen that are going to be first-round picks. And, you know, they've got the awesomest tailback in the conference again running behind them. Um, the Michigan State always being good, but no one picking them to finish higher than third and chip on the shoulder. There's that thing. Um, you know, there's, there's always certain narratives that kind of repeat. And 
not only does Big Ten Media Day, is it a lot of talking without actually saying anything, but a lot of it is kind of the same uh, rehash storylines every year. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that kind of stood out to me was the last time I went was uh, Joe Pa's final media day, and uh, to me that's more just a uh, how surreal it was knowing what was going to happen in the next six months. <laughs> I mean, I have this picture, and I'm standing five feet away from him, and it was very much the, uh, oh, I'm just going to take a picture just because it's Joe Pod. I think it's cool that, you know, I'm this close to him, and he's this legend in the game. And then all hell broke. I mean, nobody had any clue what was going to happen. It, 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 even if you just take it away, it's like, okay, this guy's going to be dead within six months. And then everything else? Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. And, and, the, and the thing is, like, you couldn't appreciate it in the moment. You couldn't appreciate it that day. But it, it all came later. I mean, it, it is so surreal. It transcends everything about the sport. And then you, now it's just like I look at that picture and I'm like, did he know this was coming down the pike? And I think I got to see him, like, talk at the at the dinner that day or for some reason. And, you know, they're all doing the ha-ha-ha Joe Paz old jokes and everything else. And the guy's commanding the room. And I'm like, okay, how can you be jovial and commanding the room when you probably knew this was coming? Right. I mean, it's not a coincidence that it all came out the exact week that he broke the record for wins. Yeah, it's it's insane. So, yeah, I still I still think there's something more to the fact that um, Bear Bryant said something. I mean, this this is this is very well documented. This is a story that's very well known that Bear Bryant said something about like if he ever stopped coaching, he'd croak within six months, and that's exactly what happened. And Paterno got to pass away just a few months after that. I I think they just kind of knew what was going on. I think they kind of knew. Yeah, they had to. They had to. But, uh... Yeah. You know, because no one... You don't die of not having a perfect reason to get out of bed. You don't die of not having a job. Yeah, it, it's it's just crazy. And, yeah, you know, I, I guess we can shift to a little thing. It's like... The other neat thing about media days is always when there's a new coach there, and they always kind of have their own, their own uh, entourage, if you will. But there was nobody new this year, was there? Scott Frost, and there was a lot of. Um, oh yes, Frost. I, I I keep forgetting Nebraska got him. Well, that hit home for me because uh, Northwestern uh, is a team that I cover and. You know, Pat Fitzgerald is from my hometown, and he was a high school classmate of my sister. And there was a lot of, like, oh, well, hey, hometown. Well, not hometown, but um, coaching is alma mater, and they played in the same era. And there was a lot of, I don't know. I just saw this as a lot of stories that I'm not going to write because they would get no page views, and everyone else is going to do them. But if people are interested in that, good for them. Well, don't you remember the legendary Nebraska and Northwestern Big Ten game from 1995? Oh, wait. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, speaking of which, as a sidebar, 
All right, Big Ten Network, you need to have a moratorium. None of this Big Ten's greatest games with Rutgers or Maryland or Nebraska or even Penn State, nothing before they came into the conference, all right? And if that doesn't mean Rutgers, fine. Nobody wants to watch a Rutgers greatest game anyway. You know, I, I felt sorry. There was a Maryland player who had known at his podium for a good 20 minutes. Wow. That's... And if I had, like, not – I was kind of cranky then because they they ran out of lunch an hour before <laughs> lunch was supposed to end. Always the important thing for sports writers at these events is when, when's lunch ending and have they run out. Right, because, you know, because the day is centered around this luncheon that they send us press releases on. So apparently they want us to plug this luncheon that we're not allowed to attend which also completely distorts and contorts the entire day schedule. So there's this, like, six-hour gap of nothing in between. So, I mean, it's been that way for years, fine. But when lunch ran out and I'm like, hey, you know, and they just really did not care when I complained to do anything about it, that kind of put me in, like, not the best mood. Because otherwise, if I had, you know, if I had my protein and had felt better, I would have gone to the Maryland table and just started asking him about the good players on other teams or something, because, hey, at least he's getting attention, and at least I get sound bites for, you know, for my really important, serious mock draft. Oh, yes, of course, of course. <laughs> but, but yeah, you, you make a good point. And the, how, how does it feel to be, you come all the way there from Maryland or Rutgers or whatever, and nobody talks to you. And it's just, I don't know. I'm still not used to it. I'm really not used to it. I probably never will be used to it because I'm so old school. That, and even Nebraska still feels like a more natural fit. Don't you agree? Yeah, Nebraska seems like the perfect natural fit because it borders Iowa and they have a nice rivalry and they're just a very Midwestern Big Ten kind of state, so I'm cool with that. Well, they, um, they fit very well into the quadrangle of hate between Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa and Nebraska because they all have rivalry games with each other. Plus my finest Big Ten media day moment, which will never be eclipsed because I'll never touch anything like this again, was when... I asked Bo Pelini the cat question, and I was just lucky that Bo Pelini was in the kind of mood that he played along. And then when everyone did their, like, Big Ten media day wrap-up, because, of course, no one ever says anything, they led with the cat question. And I'm like, all right, that's, that's the peak for me. <laughs> uh, we, we need more moments like the cat by like the cat question, like I I wanted PJ Fleck to repel from the ceiling. Anything to make this interesting. You know, I'm glad you said that because my first impression of the schedule when it came out, I'm like, you put Gerald Fleck and Harbaugh on the first day, and you put them in the afternoon session to make sure that we'll all show up and we'll be on time and we'll all be caffeinated, and then the morning session that no one really wants to go to unless they have to. You had a lot of the like dull kind of monotone guys and a lot of the guys that are teams that they're not interested in. So I kind of thought they set it up perfect. But Fleck, um, I was let down by Fleck's performance this year and last year. He was high energy, but he didn't really say anything that interesting. And Harbaugh, 
Harbaugh is really subdued. This is not the Harbaugh we had before. Well, I think the air con- I think the uh, non-air conditioned locker room took it out of him, which he will be happy to know. They announced today that Purdue is getting air conditioning in the visitors' locker room. I'm sure he's going to be ecstatic about that. That was a very bizarre story last year. I really didn't understand where he was going with that. Well, personally, I do not understand why they took Spate to push when we have this state-of-the-art medical facility that they did the sports medicine facility in the basement of Mackey Arena when they had a $100 million renovation there, and they took him to push, and push is notorious. It's like push would probably have given him a pregnancy test. I'm not kidding. I always, when I was a student, I joked that if I severed my arm, I would throw it in the passenger seat of my car and drive across the river to a real hospital rather than go to Push. I only learned what Push was when I read the Isaac Haas story. So. Oh, there you go. There you go. And. <laughs> it's I know. A- we'll just stop there. We, we're not. That is one off ramp. We're not going to exit. It's like if you're a student, you have better luck if you would just go across the campus to the vet hospital. You'd probably get better care. And that you'd get a tick bath, too. Well, that's good. You want to make sure that you have no ticks and fleas. <laughs> but um, I wanted to get your impression of this new trend. Um, and it's a very, it's a Purdue-related issue, but it relates to the Big Ten at large. And it actually makes me like Purdue a lot more in that... Rome came in and won right away, hit the ground running, and same division. Now, Lovey Smith, to his credit, does not do this sort of thing, but Lovey Smith has this very lapdog, subordinate local media that will do the excuse-making for him about, well, he came in so late in the recruiting cycle, and he didn't have all his guys in his recruiting cycle. Like not year three, it's like year two, and that year two is year one, and then and then CJ Fleck going up there and actually staying on dias, that that was year zero, so this is year one. So the dude next to me, um, I don't know, I'm not gonna say his name because I don't know if he wants me to say it, but great legendary sports writer, Chicago guy, covered the Illini for a long time, someone I look up to, and he. He just looked at me, he's like, well, did PJ get paid in year zero? Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, and you look at PJ, and he's probably going to take a step back this year because he doesn't have a quarterback. I mean, good Lord, I have as much experience as his quarterbacks do. <laughs> yes, and I don't know, what's your 40 time like these days? Uh, well, I'm still coming off of foot surgery, so... Um, I mowed pretty hard tonight. I'd say I can do 40 in about eight seconds. I like it. Oh, yeah. And that, like I said, coming off of foot surgery and expecting another one, that's not too bad. <laughs> but um, the thing about PJ is there's a lot I like about him. I like that he kicked guys off the program who were doing bad stuff off the field. I like that he takes a stand for moral. And I think we were, yeah. Instead of winning sometimes, is, is like zaniness or is I think we lost Paul, or at least briefly. 
Like I happened at Western Michigan, cleaned house and they were horrible, and then they got better. And after the struggles, then they got elite. If you would like to say, they became very elite. Oh, well, absolutely elite. And much like Lovey, he too lost a game to Daryl Hazel. He had three Big Ten wins, two of them against Illinois, and his best win was over PJ Flex Western Michigan uh, in Flex's second year. Wow! And it, that was a, a team that had gone one and eleven the year before, and Hazel beat them in the season opener, and they went on to go eleven and five that year, and that was kind of the start of Flex Hole legend. But yeah, he too lost to. Lost to Hazel, which it automatically, automatically uh, just should eliminate a lot of people. That should be like question one. Did you lose to Daryl Hazel? Yes. Okay, well, thank you for your time. But we also know the infamous trivia question. What do Daryl Hazel, Bear Bryant, and Joe Paterno have in common? <laughs> Their last win was all against Illinois. Hi. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I think we could probably shift now to our final topic of the evening, and that is a tease for the podcast that's been also on the Dan Carlin schedule. The uh, What was the name of the podcast that you came up with, Casey? Let's Get Weird Sports. Yes, Let's Get Weird Sports. So, what is topic number two going to be? Topic two is Shoeless Joe Jackson, and it's more than just a story about the man with the third highest career batting average in Major League history, who is also not in the Hall of Fame. It's more about just the Black Sox scandal and Field of Dreams and Eight Men Out. I mean, we'll cover all that. We'll we'll definitely uh, get into all that. But it's also about what a bizarre and strange man he was in a lot of different ways that kind of flies under the radar. Now, see, I didn't know about the bizarre and strangeness of him. I just knew about the Black Sox scandal, and he was a really good player that's been banned from the Hall of Fame. Well, everything seems to come full circle, and every, everything is always related. And with, with sports gambling now legalized, maybe over time, um, the stigma towards gambling erodes within generations, and then they allow him in, but... He's actually a guy that, although never convicted of throwing a game, all the White Sox um, were never convicted in a court of law. He actually was convicted of perjury in Milwaukee in 1924 because he gave testimony about the series that directly contradicted what he said in 1921 during the original Black Sox trial. So he was lying, um, obviously, one of those two times. But... Um, when he went, he, so he went, so he had this trial in Milwaukee in 1924, and it was about getting back pay from Charles Kaminsky, and the entire jury was just basically fanboys, and they they found him innocent. The judge took the opposite approach and found him guilty, sent, you know, slapped him with, convicted him of perjury, but that eventually got overturned. He escaped jail, but beyond all that, he. Stayed married to one woman his whole life. She was a she was a whopping 15 years old when um, 
when she married him. Oh, that's good when you can throw in a child bride. Well, it is the South, and it is uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's, I'm sure that's going to go uh, over well with a lot of listeners. Oh, yes, it's the South. Is It's the South is never a good phrase when describing pretty much anything in the history of this country. Well, it does kind of relate to that, because the Black Sox were not... I mean, the 1919 White Sox were as dominant a team as they were. They literally had a civil war within them. Like, there was... The civil war was between, like, the straight arrow Gennaro types, like the wholesome choir boys, and then the drinkers, gamblers, carousers, degenerates. But you also had the southern and northern divide. Like, like, like Shoeless Joe was with Lefty Williams, and Cracker Shock and all these other and I'm not making up these names. There was in fact his first manager Floyd Sox was named Pants Roland. <laughs> <laughs> I do miss those uh old school nicknames like Old Haas or Pants or Shoeless Joe. Those are those are classic. Those need to make a comeback in baseball. Yeah, like the biggest badass on the entire team, the guy that used to Box barehanded and kind of was the ringleader of the whole um, the go between of the gamblers. His name was Chick Gandle. And I'm like, Chick was this? There's never a bad chick as a name. That's true, but yeah, there's, so there's a lot going on with this guy. He, um, he left spring training one year. He went to Atlanta and he, this is Tulis Joe that we're talking about. He was in the vaudeville, and he was a vaudeville actor, and he he just disappeared with some vaudeville actress for a while in Atlanta, and no one ever knows where they went or what they did, but his wife almost divorced him over it, and it's just a very mysterious time in his life. Um, he avoided the World War One draft by joining a warship painting company, and then he's this major league all-star, but he's in the... He's in a shipbuilding league, and he's dominating that. <laughs> That's great. I miss those days. That's fantastic. So then, then he like took the heat from the press about, you're not a patriot, and you dodged the draft by painting ships, and even Comiskey himself, you know, slandered him for it, and... They say that played a role in why he took the money, and and uh, then again, that's also bizarre in itself. I mean, that is he had the high, he hit the series only home run in 1919. He hit 375. He didn't make errors. He, we know that he knew about what was going on. We know seems that he took money, but seems like he's tossed out of baseball because he didn't tell people about what was going on. And, um. But it, from all accounts, it seems like he played to win. Yeah, that's, and that's part of what we will likely discuss when we get to the weird sports... Uh, dang it, I forgot the name again. It's, you, you would think that I would do this of, uh, you know, I, like I run the site and know what's going on. You are El Padrino of Hammer and Rail. El Padrino. El Jefe, even. Yeah, too happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a plethora of piñatas, El Guapo. <laughs> oh, my. But, uh, but, yes, that'll be one that we talk about. And we're also, con- 
uh, crowdsourcing good ideas for other stories that we can discuss. I know another fun one uh, can also be Disco Demolition Night, which uh, here's a fun fact for you, Paul. I actually worked at one time with the wife of the winning pitcher for the Detroit Tigers that night on Disco Demolition Night. He is from uh, Kokomo, Indiana, and his name was Pat Underwood. He was a high school phenom here that uh, still, I believe, holds the state record for most strikeouts uh, as a high school pitcher. Went, I believe, number two overall in the uh, 1976 draft, and his brother was also one hell of a pitcher. Didn't last very long in the majors. He only had a 13-18 and 18 record across four seasons with the Tigers, but he famously made his major league debut against his brother. Uh, for the His brother was pitching for the Blue Jays at Exhibition Stadium, and they pitched against each other, and Pat beat his older brother Tom 1-0. And then one of his other wins, of course, Disco Demolition Night. So he got the win by forfeit. No, he was the he was the winning pitcher in the first game before the forfeit. Oh well, that's that's better. That that gives that more cred then. Yeah, yeah, and it just it's strange. So he was in the middle of all that, and that's just to me that's nuts. And you know, I've I've met him a couple times here. Actually, saw him over Christmas because um, his nephew was one of my best friends in high school, and uh, yeah, really nice guy. But he was right there in the middle of it as one of the players. That that is a great story. I mean, we we I definitely think we got to do a disco demolition. Let's get weird sports podcast. Oh yes, yes. Because I mean, any time that you have drunken fans t- running onto a field and nearly burning a major league stadium to the ground, it's worth it. You got to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, obviously this podcast is influenced by drunk history, and you know, to some extent now the dollop, but. The great stories are great stories. They they just need to be told. Yeah. Oh, I just found the box score from the first game. He pitched seven and two-thirds innings and gave up one earned run on five hits for the Tigers as they won game one, four to one. How did that team end up doing? Were the 79 Tigers any good? Uh, probably not. <laughs> Let me see, 1979 in baseball. I know that that year was, I believe, Orioles-Pirates in the World Series. Uh, uh, they went 85-76, and 76, but that was only good enough for fifth place in the AL East. So the AL East was really good that year. Six of the seven teams finished with a winning record. Mostly because the Blue Jays were awful and went 53-109. and 109. Good God. The, the, the Blue Jays officially finished 50 and a half games behind the Orioles. That's unreal. No, definitely. 50 and a half. Yeah, it's, that's absurd. But it may happen this year with the uh, Orioles and the Red Sox. <laughs> Uh, well, I think we've run out of topics for tonight. As I said, we kind of teased the Shoeless Joe Let's Get Weird Sports. And 
we'll be working on some other ideas for the Let's Get Weird. Hopefully talk about those in future weeks. So do you have any final thoughts for us, Paul? Well, I am going to try to see what I can get about Northwestern. If there's a Let's Get Weird with them, uh, maybe at Northwestern Media Day, somebody could ask some players about some weird stuff, but it didn't really go anywhere. I think you could ask Fitzgerald how on earth they went undefeated against the Big Ten in 95. They upset Notre Dame to start the whole thing, but they had the one loss to Miami of Ohio. Otherwise, they would have been playing for a national title. That is very, very bizarre. I mean, that's one of the stranger sports upsets when you look back at it. You're just like, how on earth did that happen? Because that was one hell of a Northwestern team. You know, it, it's funny. Somebody brought up the old Northwestern media guy, and that back then when he was a player, Patrick Gerald said he wanted to put a dome on Dyke Stadium. Wow. So that kind of went out of nowhere. But, um, well, for Illinois Week, though, we've got that great story, which I told you at the Cubs game. Oh, what was that one? I'm sorry. About how Hugh Hafner cost Illinois the national title in 1983. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the Illini were um, the Illini were ranked number four in the nation. They were ten and one, and they played Rick Neuheisel's UCLA team that was five five and one in the Rose Bowl, and they got absolutely thwarted. They got absolutely whomped, forty five to nine. And a lot of people have always wondered how that happened. And it's just kind of well known in a lionite circle among everywhere that um, Hap is an alum. Mm-hmm. got his idea for Playboy at the Daily Illini. This is the first time they've been in the Rose Bowl in 20 years. So, you know, the story goes that he had team over at the Playboy Mansion for a New Year's Eve party. And given that because of the gentleman's agreement with the NFL, they don't play the Rose Bowl on Sunday. It's January 1st. So that was played on January 2nd. So I guess they kind of thought we're going to have a day to recover from our hangover and whatever. And they just didn't get up for it. And just kind of thought, hey, we beat this mediocre scrub team. It's not going to do anything for us in the polls. Because obviously this is way before the BCS and any of that. But it is a stretch to say that it didn't cost them the national title. I mean, a lot of stuff broke for them ahead of them among the teams in the polls, but just to kind of leapfrog like that and to win a, you know, to be number one in the polls was kind of hard to do. But, you know, I've, I've written this, I put that out there a couple of years ago, and no one's ever come to me and said this isn't true or that's not true, so... I even asked Neuheisel about it on a conference call, but I didn't bring up the story. I just said, how did you guys upset them? Like, what happened? Without saying anything else, and Neuheisel brought up the Playboy Mansion thing, and he's like, well, we were at UCLA. How come we didn't get invited? So, and then when when, when Hef passed away last September, that story started circulating again, and, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll dive into that, because there's some... There's a lot of little fun subplots in that story. Oh, yes, definitely. That that sounds good, and uh, definitely something we can roll with on Let's Get Weird Sports, because 
anytime a two-day hangover comes into play to affect the Rose Bowl, it's worth talking about. And it stars our good old buddy, local Jack Trudeau. Oh, yes, Jack Trudeau, Colts legend Jack Trudeau. I posted that on my site. There's a picture from uh, December 22nd, 1983 edition of the Chicago Sun-Times. Trudeau's got... A Playboy bunny on each arm kissing his teeth. And uh, he uh, even stayed local after his time with the Colts because I believe his uh, kids grew up in Zionsville up here. So. Is this kid good? Uh, I think he graduated a few years ago. And he was he was decent, but I forget what happened. So. Well, that's our start. But we're, we definitely want to crowdsource. We want to get more ideas out there for this. <laughs> All right. Well, I uh, thank you, Paul, for coming on to the podcast, and uh, hopefully everybody enjoys this, and hopefully we can get a, a Let's Get Weird Sports coming in pretty soon. Yeah, we'd love to get one in before football season. That'd be awesome. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening tonight, and we'll ho- again, we'll hope to get this at least a couple more of these out before football season, and then maybe we can actually go weekly during football season. So, For Paul and myself, this is T-Mill of HammerAndRails.com saying boiler up and thanks for listening.